I think where you see the biggest challenges is where the role may report too low in the organization or to a leader that doesn't understand the risk and isn't going to be supportive for helping the CISO accomplish what needs to be done. From Exabeam, this is the new CISO, a show about the people who lead IT security teams, the challenges they face, and how they overcome them. I'm Steve Moore, and on today's show, I speak to Lenny Levy, who most recently served as CISO for Providence St. Joseph Health. Lenny and I talk about the value in lessons learned from failure, to shifting between being a consultant and a full-time CISO, and their unique insights. As a modern CISO and security expert, a challenge you may face is that a leader to whom you report might not understand the business of security. Given that, how do we influence and ultimately correct existing lines of reporting? Said plainly, are we reporting to the right executive sponsor or are we buried under some older way of thinking? Lenny, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, for the listener, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you, Steve, for having me today. I actually started working professionally in information security over 20 years ago as a consultant and worked with a number of different organizations over the years before I made the switch over to being the chief information security officer for Spectrum Health over in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Most recently, I've been working, just finished working as the interim CISO for Providence St. Joseph Health in Seattle. That's a pretty common thing I see, you know, kind of the, the movement from consultant to CISO. I'm sure the reasons are many, but share a little bit about that transition. What is it like when you effectively have one client rather than many? What's that like? Yeah, it's definitely a bit of a transition and something I actually was really looking forward to the challenge of. As a consultant, I'd come in, I'd help organization with big issues, small issues, really helping to transform their organization. But I wouldn't be able to see it over time. And making that switch over really allowed me to focus on not only how do I put in place things for the short term, but longer term and be able to see how they evolve. So you, you made that choice. When is that choice typically made? I mean, when you are a consultant, is that a career decision? Is that a life decision? You know, you, I see it happen. I mean, just speaking plainly, what are the common reasons that that happens? You know, I think it can be a little bit of both. Part of it was to have a new and different challenge, right? I always want to be growing and developing in my career and taking on new and different things. And so that was one way of doing so. You also see, and I think one of the biggest knocks on consulting, you know, tends to be the travel. And so you see a lot of people leaving that way. But the flip side of it is in consulting, you get a lot of experience very quickly because you're working with a lot of different organizations on different challenges. And so, you know, you typically start to see people leave after they've been there five, six you know, maybe 10 years. I actually stayed it quite a bit longer, really enjoyed it, but, you know, ended up making that transition after I'd been, you know, working probably around 17 years. So 
we know you got your start in consulting. Uh, consulting. How, how did that? What's that like as a as a young consultant in uh, in IT or IT security? Uh, how how what's your what's your day in day out like? It was very interesting, especially going to a large consulting firm. I grew up programming, administering networks, doing things on a very very small scale. Coming into PwC, you know, the first thing I did was actually go through three months of training. And it was everything from how to do documentation to, you know, some uh, differing, you know, presentation skills and other things before I ever went out to see a client. And then actually making that client transition, I probably had the best experience of anyone I knew starting off. I was doing a M&A activity with a fleet of two cruise ships and actually going ship to ship uh, doing technology implementation. Oh, wow. Now, how, how old are you at this point? And you're working on a cruise ship, effectively? 20, yeah, 20, 22 years. So, yeah, it, it was a very interesting transition from going, you know, from university to three months of training to, you know, literally sailing around the world. So I really like asking everyone on the show this question. There's sort of two staple questions. What advice would you have for your younger self? So if you you know, maybe it's that that twenty year old Lenny looking back now. Is there anything that you would tell yourself to do differently? You know, the first thing that comes to mind would have been to maybe buy and hold some Microsoft stock. <laughs> I think you know, twenty years retrospect, that would have been a good decision. But from a career perspective, I think it's really not being afraid of failure. Coming into consulting, we always wanted to deliver everything that the client was looking for at a certain quality and certain way. And I almost drove a little bit more too much towards perfection. And I think, you know, there's a lot of value and a lot of lessons learned from failure. And I think embracing that a bit more would have been good. So related to failure, I mean, is there a related to consulting and earlier in your career, was pleasing the customer, making them, you know, happy all the time? I mean, is there, is it ever okay not to have a perfect outcome? And what's sort of the, the impact of that? Just thinking about that from a diff- few different perspectives. One is sometimes the clients didn't know, weren't necessarily asking the right question. And so we might answer the question, but it might not have been what they truly needed. And so pushing back, I think a bit more would have been useful to help them get to what, what would have been the most beneficial for them. Mm-hmm. The other element is, you know, as I think about leadership styles and how that's evolved over the years, you know, you know, where to push, where not to push, where to, you know, say, okay, what we have is good enough. That's something I think, you know, as I've, as I reflect back on the last 20 plus years now, I think I've uh, changed and maybe become a little bit more realistic in some of those things. No, I I like that a lot. So maybe for the listening CISO or the future CISO, is it okay in some cases, whether working with a consultant or maybe even building something internally, is getting something to 85% okay? Like, is that, is that sort of good enough to deliver and move on? Is it, is it okay out of agility or, or, or speed to not be perfect in that regard when you finish a project? I mean, what advice do you have there? Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes down to the case-by-case perspective, that for certain types of things, 
you need to be perfection. You know, when I'm out presenting to boards of directors, I need to know my material backwards forward. I need to have a fairly polished presentation. I need to really think through and understand what they're going to ask and how to respond. But there's other cases where that same level is not necessarily required and spending the time and effort to get there is realistically not worthwhile. Especially as a younger self, in many cases, if you're new, you don't know when to stop. You don't know that taking it from 98% to 100 might mean you know, that long tail of effort isn't worth it. And so you're just going to stick with it and maybe you know, burn the candle at both ends, so to speak. I mean, is that, do you see that happen? Maybe it didn't happen with you, but with, with other junior associates? No, I definitely remember cases where that happened with me. And, you know, in retrospect, and in some cases even got feedback from the client, like, wow, this is more than what I was looking for, more than what I needed. And having those tech checkpoints, seeing what really would have been enough would have been not only beneficial from a work-life balance perspective, ultimately better aligned to what they're looking for. Hmm, I like that. Is this enough? Uh, don't not, as to not overdo it. One of the things you mentioned talking to boards and giving advice in general, and one of the things we talked about is sort of assessing security reporting structures, which is kind of the the underpinning, I think, of today's show. Is there an ideal reporting structure for a CISO? Meaning, into where should they report? Do you have that? Does that exist or or not? I would say just like there's no silver bullet for security that you do this one thing, you're going to solve all the challenges. There's no one answer for reporting relationships. A lot of it is very organizationally dependent. It's You need to look at the dynamics of the individuals, how the organization functions, whether it be through influence or hierarchy and other factors to really find that ideal location. You mentioned that it kind of depends on the organization, and I get that. Maybe approach it from another direction. What's the worst place for the CISO to report? So if I think about where it could report, there's a lot of different places that you see today. CIO, CEO, CFO, general counsel, chief risk officer, chief operating officer, et cetera. And I think all of those are viable places. I think where you see the biggest challenges is where the role may report too low in the organization or to a leader that doesn't understand the risk and isn't going to be supportive for helping the CISO accomplish what needs to be done. So what about a situation where the CISO reports into somebody where there's, they could be at odds and not at odds from a human perspective, but odds from a different set of, you know, measures, meaning like a CISO is is from a security perspective, you know, is our high integrity, you know, the CIA triad. Whereas a lot of times like a CIO is performance and availability. And sometimes those are at odds. I mean, is, is that a common issue that you see? It can be. And I think it really depends on how the CIO approaches some of those measures holistically. So I've been in organizations where IT teams are proud of the fact that systems haven't been rebooted in five years. But if a system hasn't been rebooted in five years and you haven't had a patch applied in five years, and so that's maybe a bad measure. However, if that same system is architected properly so that it's set up for high availability where you can reboot the underlying infrastructure but still keep the application running, 
right? That's more of a win-win. And I think more and more I'm seeing CIOs start to embrace that philosophy because they frankly see their neck is on the line in a lot of cases when some of these big data breaches are happening. And I think that's kind of starting to change that philosophy. If the other way I look at it is you don't want to have the wrong organizational structure based on dynamics. So you may have seen in the congressional report on the Equifax data breach, part of the reason they had the structure they did, it was because of how different people interacted. And so they had a less than ideal organizational structure because of those dynamics instead of fixing the problem with the dynamic. You mentioned something earlier. Are you worse off to report to the wrong person, meaning the title, or to be too low in an organization? I think in either of those cases, you can work through it. If I had to pick one of those, I'd probably pick being too low in the organization because a lot of organizations still look at the hierarchy. They look at the ability of that person to even get meetings with, their, with what needs to be their peers. And so that can, some, that can be a constraint. Having the wrong title, as long as that person is supportive and enables a CISO to do their job, they can go out, they can influence, and they can actually still be successful as long as they're not working at odds with them. So if you were going in, you know, you've worked on both sides. If you're going into a new organization and you see that there's something that's not right, let's focus on being too low in the organization in this case. What are the ways that you evaluate and attempt to persuade and correct that type of scenario? How do you, what are the main movers and who are you talking to uh, to try to change the, the position and, and where that character gets visibility? I actually recently went through a challenge like that at an organization uh, where I was the interim CISO. And what I found coming into the organization was actually a twofold problem. One was the CISO reported to the chief risk officer, but didn't have the full realm of security part of that responsibility. The rest of the security function, to your question, actually sat very low in the organization within IT. And there was a level of dysfunction because of not only the reporting relationships, but where people sat. And so stepping into the organization, one of the things was understanding the dynamics. Why was it that way? And what were some of the decisions made that led to having that structure being in place? And then the next thing, once I had that understanding was, okay, how to influence the organization? So how to meet with some of those key stakeholders? So the people, you know, both in the risk organization, the IT organization, to understand what are they trying to achieve and are they getting those outputs as a result of the structure? In some cases, there was a need for reporting. And there was a concern that, well, if the CISO function didn't report into risk, they wouldn't get the reporting that they needed. IT was concerned about the fact that, you know, they needed people to manage, you know, firewall rules and other changes. And so working with those leaders, we're able to come up with a structure where Security was elevated in the organization, reported to the CIO with a dotted line to the chief risk officer, 
and you know would be doing quarterly board reports, the audit compliance committee meeting, and other things around the role so that it would be successful and more effective. So I really like the three things you mentioned there uh, as you kind of walk through. And there was, there's more than three, but at the highest level, I think it was sort of understand culture, understand who are the people to influence and sort of setting up those, those meetings. And then last, looking at output. So what's the desire there? Do you think that those are, uh, you know, if you were giving a talk, are those sort of a, the, the highlights in your presentation? And first part of the question, and next, related to culture, does that involve, just to be clear, the sort of the history behind why certain decisions were made and, you know, sort of the, 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 the format and the creation of these groups? Was there varied bodies? Was there political arguments? I mean, is that when you're getting into that, that first part of culture, is that what you mean by that? It is. And there was a whole legacy there, decisions that had been made over the years, right, wrong, and different. But it, we need to understand that, right? Because the last thing you want to do is repeat, you know, the same challenges, same issues that happened in the past. And I think coming in fresh with an outside perspective, not being aligned, frankly, to any of the parties, you know, from the, from the beginning in terms of there's any predisposed right solution and working with those stakeholders to figure out what's right for the organization versus what's right for any one team or individual was very effective because everyone wanted to do the right thing. They just were looking at it historically through a very, you know, a more narrow lens. Can you share a little bit of, you mentioned the risk organization and they were interested in reporting at a very high level. What type of reporting were they interested in? They were, they, they wanted to re- maintain access and visibility and to this type of reporting information. What reporting in particular did they desire most? The top desire was around incidents and potential incidents because the risk organization was also the bridge and to cyber liability insurance. It was also the connection point to the privacy team. And so anytime you're dealing with potential incidents in a healthcare organization, right, you have implications for both of those things. And then the other part was transparency around truly where the organization was and what's going on. So that gets into things like metrics, results of assessments, other things so that as we think about cybersecurity as a business risk, we need to be able to frame it to other risks in the organization, whether that's medical malpractice, natural disasters, whatever. And we need to have a common language and a common way of articulating that that's going to resonate with a risk organization as well as others in the, in the enterprise. Just for those listening, how frequent would information be collected in terms of reporting you know, about incidents and these sorts of things? Was it a weekly thing, a monthly thing, quarterly? What was the consumption frequency of that? So for potential incidents, it was really uh, based on the severity and more real time. So if something happening, need to have vis- make sure that there's the right level of visibility you know, that would happen as those occurred. The more standardized reporting would take place on a monthly basis. Here's where we are. Here's what we said we were going to do. Here's what we accomplished. Here's what's coming up. Would want to get that out on a monthly cadence. And then other reporting that might go to like the audit compliance committee, that would be on a quarterly basis. And so that would be a higher level, obviously, and, you know, wouldn't necessarily be nearly as real time. 
Yeah, and I, I I should have clarified not not focusing on sort of critical incidents, just in terms of cadence of normal information flow, which it sounds like it was monthly and or quarterly for the audit committee. What are a couple of things that they were keenly interested in? If you can share again, just for maybe those that are getting started or maybe wanting to self-evaluate, what are a couple of things that they were interested in that, that you put together and shared? They were very interested in what was the risk that we had as an organization and how well we were addressing it. And obviously with cybersecurity and you know different organizations have different maturities, there's going to be one or more different projects and initiatives right, to help close that gap. And so how well were we actually working towards those goals and getting the risk reduced to an appropriate level? That would typically, though, be at a very, fairly high level. Those conversations would main primarily be 15, 20 minutes of presentation and then maybe another 15, 20 minutes of Q&A. So as part of that visibility and reporting, when you were looking to make this organizational structural change, were they aware of this change? Was that something uh, into which after you had done you know, this sort of culture assessment and looked at the influencers and outcomes, the board or the subcommittees, were they aware of this organizational change? And, and if yes, then what are the types of language uh, that you shared with them? What was helpful in that? Yeah, so when we made the change, we looked at five different factors, some of which you alluded to earlier. So we looked at what was the level of independence. So were we going to have conflicts of interest between where the CISO reported and that leader? So if it's the CIO, what's the potential that they might have different measures of success? Uh, How well is the role aligned to the broader risk management efforts of the organization? What would be the level of executive involvement and knowledge around it? How well would the, the security team be able to execute on what was required? And then finally, what would be the synergies or lack of synergies with the IT team? And so those were the five factors. We looked at those for different role placements in terms of keeping the as-is state, moving all security under risk, under the CEO, under CIO, et cetera. When it came to the board, what we reported on was, here's the change we made and you know, moving it under the CIO. Here's what the structure looks like. And here's kind of the pros and the cons of what we decided to be transparent with what decision we made, why we made it, and so that they would be aware of it. But it wasn't going to the board to say, are you okay with it? Because as a senior leadership team, including the CEO, they weighed in and you know approved the, the change in structure. Awesome. Within a quick question, within that that sort of measure, you had those five five elements or criteria. What were the values within that? Was that a scale through you know one through ten? Was it a, a positive or negative? What we, was the well, the weighting there? Yeah. Yeah, we we kept it really simple. So it was green, yellow, red. It's highly, you know, it's going to highly be aligned and and work well. You know, yellow, it's partially going to work. Or, you know, red, it doesn't look like this is going to be a great fit. And the reality was, is none of the potential solutions we had were all greens. It was really around what was going to be 
the most well-aligned and what was going to work best for the organization given where they were and the challenges they had around cybersecurity. So what are some of the other triggers? You know, you put together this evaluation structure, you did all this work, but that was specific to that organization. If you're a new CISO or maybe an interviewing CISO, let's go there. And you're talking to the hiring executive. What are some warning signs that you have that you would share? Just things to ask or elements of concern that you would share. One of the things that I look for, and yeah, I mentioned I had an interim role wrap, wrapped up recently, and so I'm out you know, looking at this point in time for a new opportunity. One of the things I ask is, what is the governance around the information security program? And so if it is just a leader overseas and you don't have involvement from other groups, other departments to help weigh in, bring a perspective from sales, marketing, legal, et cetera, right? This is a bit of a red flag. Um, it also can also be a red flag if the budgets are commingled, meaning if you look at the security budget is just a line item in IT. And, you know, as an example, and so if IT is going to have cost reduction or they might be short you know, and they're just going to, you know, pull money from one to the other, right? That, that would be a concern. And then lastly, it's, you know, what is the philosophy, right, of that leader? What is their experience around security? As I mentioned earlier, most CIOs now, and I'm kind of picking on that as a role because it is probably one that's still the most common reporting relationships. Most CIOs, are much more security savvy now than they were maybe five or 10 years ago. And if that CIO hasn't made that transition, then that would be a concern as well. So is that something that would keep you from maybe taking a job if you had, let's say, a CIO that had little experience in or or appreciation for the CISO position? I think it really comes down to if I can get a perspective on their willingness to change. If they're extremely set in their ways, that they think that, you know, it's still a technical issue. It's not a business issue that it's, we just need to make sure our firewalls are set and we're golden, right? I'd probably run away. But if they at least seem willing to listen, evolve and be educated, because ultimately, right? And I think about this and working with different executives within an organization, part of my responsibility is to help educate. They're not going to be the subject matter experts. And I've got to educate them in a way that they're going to understand and be able to relate to. So as long as I can do that and they seem willing to do that, then there's a potential that can still be a fit. You mentioned budget earlier and not seeing commingling of IT budget. Is there a place, though, where IT security can work as a percentage of the overall IT budget? Or do you see people going away from that? I see two sides of that. So I see percentage of IT budget as a key metric. Gartner and others will typically publish on that. But the problem and the challenge in that is it depends on the organization's maturity. A very, very high maturity cybersecurity program may need a lower percentage of budget than a program that needs to be built and is very immature. And so that number, right, on average makes sense, but as it pertains to an individual organization can be misleading. 
Interesting. So looking at, so the percentage is helpful, but it depends kind of on the maturity or efficacy of the organization. I like that. And it also depends on what's in and what's out. And so I've been in a number of organizations that want to benchmark how are they doing to other organizations. And in some cases, large swaths of IT might be outsourced. Or IT may only cover a certain set of systems, but like in a hospital, clinical engineering may sit outside of the IT organization and affect those numbers. So all of those, you, you can look at an aggregate, but individually, you really need to take with a grain of salt. Oh, that's really good advice. I like that. Anything else you'd like to share in terms of organizational corrections or other fixes that you commonly recommend? We went through some of them, but is there anything else you want to share? You know, I think back in terms of what's been successful, what hasn't been successful. And for me as a leader, it's how do I influence people? You're never going to find an organization, or I have never found an organization that does everything right and everything is going well. And so it really is incumbent on the CISO to help influence and steer the organization in the right direction. You're not going to be able to get everything you're looking for. But you want to have that impact and help things go where they need to to make sure that the organization is appropriately reducing the risk. So one more question, and this is something, this is the second question that I ask of everyone. By virtue of the name of the show, uh, what does being a new CISO mean to you, Lenny? Think about it not in the mechanical, hey, I'm a new, new into a role or new in, in, into an organization. But for me, it's always been about lifelong learning, continue to grow and develop. And no matter where I've been in my career, there's always been things that I've been able to leverage based on talking with peers, working, going to conferences, picking up different things, and even conversations like this. And I think it's good to constantly grow and develop as a professional and challenge yourself to you know, improve over time. I completely agree with that. And, and in a, maybe a small or maybe a big way, I mean, that's how ultimately we met. You know, in the history between us, you were willing to take a relatively new team down to, to uh, visit my prior employer and, and, and bring them down to, to try to learn and share. Uh, I think that's one of the most important things a new or existing leader can do, even if there's competition between the groups. In our case, we didn't have that. But looking to share successes and failures, the collaboration, and doing it in a very natural way, not just saying that you're doing it, but looking at outcomes. That's been very beneficial for me in my career and ultimately was the, the mechanism where we got to meet. Lenny, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. This is an awesome topic. We're going to explore it further, I think, uh, in a couple different ways, probably in print. So again, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, thank you again, Steve, for having me. I've enjoyed it. That concludes this episode of The New CISO. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more episodes, suggest a topic, or nominate a guest, please visit exabeam.com forward slash podcast. <laughs>